Welcome to Intimacy Choreography in Conversation, where Anne and Carly talk candidly about the growing world of intimacy choreography and shifting performance art spaces towards a culture of consent. We acknowledge and honor the Tongva peoples as the traditional caretakers of the land we currently reside on and are recording this podcast on. That is the Los Angeles Basin and South Channel Islands. And here we are. Hi, Carly. Hi, Anne. Oh, how are you? Oh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a question these days that I feel like the only way I can ask that is like in quotes, like, how are you? <laughs> like, are you really asking me that question? Um, awkward. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. how I'm doing as yep. well. Pretty much. Pretty much. But But here we are. Here Connecting, we are. talking Sur- about theater, consent. Surviving, consent. Yes. yes. Um, you know, so this episode, you know, we last time we were together, we were, well, together in podcast space. Yes. Uh, we had um, a moment in a discussion about certification and qualification and how those two things work and, you know, kind of our opinions and ideas about the two of them. So this week we decided to bring that to you, our listeners, uh, in a more kind of structured way. We don't really need to dig down deep into it, but there are some differences, right? Yeah. It's such a, I feel like big topic in this new field, which it it kind of becomes in any emerging field. So we were like, let's, let's take a deeper dive into it because we, it's something we both could, could talk about. at length and but just like breaking down what does that actually mean so i'm interested to to get into that with you yeah um i think the first thing that we can do is we can actually just talk about the definitions yes. of the two words the the actual webster's where do we get these do you remember it's either um webster's or merrick or you know prob- some, some some dictionary definition yeah, some some bona fide document or tome uh that has right. a lot lot more definitions in it um but i'll read the certification okay, one great. and then maybe if you feel or you want me to yes. read them both we'll go for it okay okay the certification the action or process of providing someone or something with an official document attesting to the status or level of achievement. Great. That's, I think it's really helpful when we're talking about words that are kind of like loaded words to be like, okay, what, what does that actually mean? What are we actually saying with that? Mm. So uh, on the other side, we have qualification and the definition of that is a quality or accomplishment that makes someone suitable for a particular job or activity. Right. So those two words are very, very different. In my mind, I see them as thus. Certification, to me, I see a piece of paper and I see people shaking hands and agreeing, (laughs) you know, you get this piece of paper. I say you get this piece of paper because you have done the things that I wanted to test you on. Okay. And Mm -hmm. you, you got those grades. Great. When I think of qualification, I think of, you know, a parent to a son or daughter or child relationship or a mentor to mentee or 
a scholar to a student where the person actually is intrinsically interested in the information and that that leader then gives them the tools to define and hone those skills based on what they actually do and not on an end point or a finish point kind of like a tradesman yes i i love that and when when i think of those words and those definitions i definitely see yeah, the certification, it's connected to a piece of paper. I mean, the word certificate is is obviously connected to that. But I, it's it, to me, I see it, it's like the gold star or checking the boxes, passing the test, as opposed to qualification, which I see as a more kind of holistic consideration of the whole human and yes. their experience. Yes. And there is that, uh, that, that little... Um, point where a certification comes from someone who has to agree to pass you or you there's a a certain patriarchy involved with that or kind of this supremacist idea that these certifications come down from on high to you know make you earn them right but who who decides who gets to be certified and what does that imply and who originally certified the first certifier, you know, like the first certifier is probably somebody who was qualified, you know, so that's (laughs) right. Right. So the person giving the certification is a, who decides, Oh, you need certification. Who certified them? Right. Uh, And you're exactly right. That person probably thought, hey, I'm qualified to teach this. So I'm going to give people the option to be certified in this or not, which is like, "Mm, I I don't know where we, uh, is the chicken egg? Is this a question of the chicken or the egg? We don't (laughs) know. We don't know. But I do know one thing is that, Mm -hmm. you know, having worked in a lot of international schools and worked in international baccalaureate accredited schools and having sat on several accreditation boards that schools go to in order to receive a certification to teach a different curricula, there needs to be, in order for a certification in intimacy direction, intimacy coordination, intimacy work at large, in order for a certification to be intact, I feel that there needs to be an accreditation. Mm -hmm. So that is an outside organization of experts coming in, not connected in any way, shape or form to the, to the company that needs to be, that wants to be accredited, that looks at their information and vets it and says, yes, you are now accredited. You can give this certification. That's how it works in the world. Right. And it's interesting because I think as we've mentioned on this podcast before, the intimacy field is like in its toddler stage. Mm-hmm. So it's it's so young. So that's not something that is is established or that, that really exists yet. You know, something really exciting is happening too. And I, you know, it's in its very fledgling um, stages, but there's this alliance, the National Alliance of Intimacy Professionals, N-A-I-P. And they're very new. And uh, the leaders of TIE 
kind of put this together. And that to me smacks of an organization that is not beholden to any of our organizations that stands outside of our organizations and would be a perfect ground for establishing a group of intimacy professionals from all different walks of life that can look at all the companies and say, okay, let's talk about a national certification. That really excites me. That's exciting. Yeah, that's that's really exciting. And I, I love that you brought that up and that it's like, even if this group and like kind of coalition is started by folks from one specific organization, TIE, I am familiar with this this group a little bit. And the the point of it is not for it to be dictated by anyone from one specific uh, company or group, At all. group where it's exactly as you said, it's like, let's let's have people from across the board from from all different backgrounds and experiences who are qualified to do this work, work together to kind of come up with maybe a universal standard that can be applied or at least a national standard. Yeah, a national standard because, uh, you know, my company, Intimacy Coordinators of Color, we do not get, we we don't promote any kind of certification. We promote qualification because it speaks from the person's uh, crossroads and intersectionality. Some people may feel intimidated by the word certification simply because they're a person of color or they, and they have been shut out of institutions of education uh, for whatever reason. There may be people who are uh, intersectional and, you know, or trans or however people identify that feel like they have been shut out of these opportunities due to scarcity or to gatekeeping. Mm. And the word certification to them has a negative connotation. So if we have this national understanding that, hey, we're not belonging to any kind of group. This is a national agreement for people who live in Spokane, Washington, people who live in Miami, Florida, people who live in New York City, people who are in LA who are doing intimacy work. Let's come together and create a system that we can all live comfortably under. I I love it. I mean, I really do. I'll get off yeah. the soapbox for now. <laughs> no, stay stay on it. It's it's very exciting. And and I I don't think that that reinforces necessarily a certification in a way of through through a lens of of gatekeeping. When when I teach intimacy, a lot of people ask me, okay, so how what do I need to do to get certified? And I say, uh, I don't know. I don't certify people to do this. And then you know I explain to them why I believe that it's personally that it's more about qualification because you bring all of the different parts of your experience, anyone who's an intimacy professional is not going to have the same experience and strengths and insights as any other person. And when you really look at people holistically of what they can offer, I think it broadens the diversity of the field. And it also helps people maybe match with more specific jobs that they align with in this field as it expands. Like that one intimacy job doesn't necessarily call for any intimacy director like you know people people need to get specific of which specific skills or experiences or insights that are going to be needed to call upon to work on that specific uh production or performance or film right i think you know you're i what we're talking about here is like are do you identify as an intimacy choreographer are you a specialist 
Are you a coordinator? Are you, where do you fall in line uh, as far as what you want to do? The intrinsic uh, enjoyment of the craft has to come from the person practicing the craft. And there are different ways that, you know, you get in where you fit in. Yes. Some people don't want to be choreographers of this intimacy work, but they want to be advocates and activists for intimacy with leadership, with uh, predominantly white institutions, I'll just say. You know, so that person may not ever be in a rehearsal room choreographing intimacy, but they could be the benchmark for how that happens in the rehearsal room. So I, I was just thinking about this idea of that you were just saying of all these different roles within Mm. intimacy, like, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe an advocate versus a choreographer. And I think that looking at the field from that lens is kind of the opposite of the scarcity and gatekeeping mentality, where it's this more of a framework of abundance, that there really is enough work for everybody who wants to be involved in this, because we want this movement to reach all performance spaces. Yeah. Um, and and not everybody who does the job is going to look and practice it exactly the same. You know, like there can there can be a universal standard. But even with that, as we talked about, that doesn't there's still so much room for individuals to bring their own gifts, because I mean, I believe that's the same thing for like it's something that I tell actors when I'm directing. I, I just remind them like you playing this character in this production right now will never happen again. So who are you to hold back or deny the world all of what you could bring to that? Mm. And and I think that really applies to this field and intimacy and just like encouraging folks to look at what are your strengths and your gifts and the special piece where you can fit into doing this work, whether it's choreography or advocacy or anything in between or combined. I absolutely agree. I mean, I'm looking forward to a day where people can be multi-hyphenate intimacy workers. You know, it's like I am a coordinator slash director slash advocate slash specialist. Wouldn't that be awesome to have that? And, you know, I mean, let's let's just talk about for a minute, let's talk about these benchmarks of cost and location and this idea of, you know, exorbitant fees for this certification, because I think Mm -hmm. that's one thing that keeps people um, in control and, you know, it keeps the masses back because, you know, there are, there's word out there on the street that uh, some of these certification programs are charging over $10,000. Yeah, that's that's wild. And it makes me ask the question in terms of certification, how does certification interact with and sometimes uphold the systems of power that are at play that the whole point of this work is to push back against those systems of power? Talk about that. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So like, how how does certification limit accessibility, as you said, by like finance or location? by diversity in leadership and how do how does how is certification at odds with this field that i truly believe aims to be an ultimately inclusive field like that's kind of the point of it yeah 
And you know what, as a, a, you know, the whole thing is, okay, well, this is, this is what the certification costs, but we're willing to give a few non-white people discounts that, or, or we'll give you free access to this information because we want to get the numbers of people of color up. That, that just doesn't sound right to me. Yeah, that feels like it's more about optics, about wanting to be seen as inclusive than actually practicing inclusivity, like in the the structure of and the like the, in the grain of how uh, a practice is or how a company is. Right. I mean, I don't know. Everybody, all of our listeners have been very kind, very sweet. We we actually have a binger. We have someone who has <laughs> binged all of our, our episodes, which is really, really sweet. Thank and you, friends. Thank you. Thank you, friends. Um, and so everybody certainly is entitled to reach, get to this work the way you want to. Um, if a certification is going to be forced onto this work at such a new time and organizations like SAG AFTRA who are kind of leaning toward this one direction so that they have the opportunity to vet people based on a piece of paper as opposed to their qualifications. This is a problem that is going to come back and back and back again because it's prohibitive financially. Yes. Yes. And so you're going to see the same type of person the same type of privilege or either people considered scholarshiped in, which we know how well affirmative action worked. So, you know, I mean, in this time of Black Lives Matter and this time of of racial unrest, this time of white supremacy taking over the control of our American tapestry. I think it's really, really dangerous for an organ uh, for uh, an industry that purports itself to be open and accepting and consent-based and boundary-respecting to fold right into the patriarchal system by charging exorbitant fees for a piece of paper. Amen. Yes. This is another thought about yeah. certification that, that I'm having mm-hmm. is, is um, well, less on the, the gatekeeping track and more of like the process of certification being like, you know, passing the test, checking all the boxes off to get the piece of paper. It, it kind of reminds me of a lot of problems in academia and in our school systems of like that we're equating memorization of information to be like regurgitated kind of immediately in the correct quote unquote way. That doesn't mean you actually are learning something or necessarily qualified to deliver it and practice it. You know, like that is a, I believe that's a less meaningful way to learn and really internalize and develop your own relationship to the material. Right. For example, when I was in high school, I took calculus. Am I qualified to teach calculus right now? No. But I also took ballet when I was eight years old. Can I still, and I didn't get a piece of paper for that. Can I still <laughs> teach someone how to do a tendu? Absolutely. I have perfect form. So the thing that I got the piece of paper for or got the good grade for, I can't teach that now. I'm not qualified to teach it. 
but am I qualified to teach someone how to do a tendu or uh, do bar work or do uh, floor work in ballet? Absolutely qualified. And I did not get a piece of paper for that. Right. But it's something that you internalized and was meaningful for you to know how to do and had like, you have obviously an ongoing relationship or practice with that move. So it still like is alive within you in a way that just memorizing things for the gold star to get the sticker uh, doesn't, doesn't do. But I think we're all kind of socialized to learn in the certification way, because that's how the the school systems generally teach us, except for like, you know, those amazing teachers who go above and beyond and break the mold and say like, fuck that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I know is like, right in in my heart. Right. Yeah, it's a, you know, now that I'm studying for my MFA in pedagogy, uh, we were just talking about in class the other day, we're talking about this whole idea of behaviorism. Uh, mm-hmm. carrots and sticks. Some of you may know carrots and sticks or mm-hmm. smiley face, frowny face. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we actually went through some very traumatic experiences with people who, you know, when they were young, they had teachers that said, well, if you do this really well, you get a gold star, you get, you get to pass, you get this piece of paper. But if you don't, you're a bad kid and no one's ever going to want to play with you. Like, I mean, people, people remember these traumatic things based on being, being, uh, getting a gold star or not, or having their star, God forbid, having their star taken away. Right. And, and I feel like that doesn't leave a lot of space for different kinds of learning and knowing. It's Mm. just kind of one, one box that you need to, to fit in. Yeah. So I'm I'm really interested in how what is a more expansive way, a more inclusive way that we can look at somebody and say, oh, you are qualified to teach this. Because I know I I do recognize I still think I'm still like anti-certification at 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 this point in the intimacy industry. Mm. And I know that some of the or I I presume that some gatekeeping practices around certification came out of a fear, a legitimate fear of people being like, oh, like I've, you know, taken this one class and now I'm going to go say that I am an intimacy professional and do some damage and like cause harm. Or try to make money at this one. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Right. Exactly. And that's not good. And I understand why certificate, why immediately the red flags came up because early on, early on, like as early as, you know, a year ago, people were taking one or two classes and then going out and purporting themselves as these intimacy specialists and things like that, which (sighs) damage control is, is a great endeavor. And I and I take my hat off to the desire to tamp down damage control. This is right. not why I'm against certification. Same. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't want people going out there after taking one weekend course or one three hour course and saying, ta-da, okay, Akron, Ohio, I am now your intimacy director. Like, that is not what this work is about right. at all. But there also should be room for, you know, somebody who's taken a couple courses, but also has on top of years of other experience, 
that in like as a choreographer or a director, um, you know, uh, understanding talking about consent and the way that bodies move to to bring all of that other qualifying life experience on top of that. Like we have to we have to be able to zoom out, and it's not just did you take two classes or more classes, but it's what else is going on for you? What else do you bring to this work? Yeah. What is the rest of your experience that informs if you are able to hold hold the space and have the emotional intelligence and the vocabulary and the skills to do this work? Yeah. What are your qualifications for saying wow. that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, in my in my company, ICOC, we have certain qualifications that we add to the compliance uh, designation that we give. We give a compliance de- designation, much like a union would, or don't get worried, we're not going to be a union. But we just like the word compliance because that's that's our jam. But we have a qualification uh, to be in the room because we have mental health and first aid, three years certification for that. Uh, we have um, sexual harassment. We have um, bystander intervention training. We have a background check. We have all of these things outside of the actual work that put us in a frame of mind to be able to react in ways that that human beings would need us in a situation with, where boundaries have been broken or when someone isn't feeling well or, or someone is uh, triggered in rehearsal. We have all these other things piled on top of the choreography, piled on top of the masking, t- piled on top of all those other things that we need in order to do the work. So is a piece of paper really going to do any good for for us? I, I, I say no. Unless you can use those things practically and in Congress with all the other things you are as a human being, like you were saying, Carly, like I might be a director coming in or I might be a filmmaker coming in or I might be a theater you know, person coming in. I might be a costumer coming in. Wouldn't that be interesting? Or a choreographer coming in with all of that experience of dance and how bodies fit together and move through space. Yes. So, I actually, oh, sorry, go for it. No, go. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Oh, that was um, a soapbox. Thank you. Thank you, Tide. Is Tide one of our sponsors? <laughs> Is Tide a sponsor? Because I just said their name like four times. Okay. Tide, tide, tide. Um, that's I, that. That was just interesting that you brought up costume designers. I actually, this was I think the beginning of the of the pandemic. But I talked on a Zoom class to a costume design class about intimacy. Mm. Um, which, I knew the teacher who asked me me to come in, and I was like, sure. And I was like, it it really made my brain expand about how kind of every aspect of theater should have a basic understanding. Like, for example, how would that, how would being informed, not necessarily being an intimacy professional, but having the foundational tools of intimacy and consent practices enhance you as a costume designer? Well, you are, costume designers do a lot of measuring. They talk about and look at the bodies of the actors, which can be really intimate and personal. So there's a lot of helpful tools in there, like, using gender neutral language for talking about parts of the body and using desexualized language, having establishing a good communication where there's always a like, you know, saying these are the places that I will need to touch you 
to measure for this costume. Is that okay? Or are then any of them that we need to adjust? Or are there any ones where you want to touch or hold the tape measure instead of me? Mm. Like, again, just kind of being just on a very basic level trauma informed and not assuming that we can touch anybody's body in any place. And and then there's the whole other, <laughs> I'm going off on this tangent, but like, what about negotiating even the design of what somebody is wearing and their comfort level? And like, especially if it's, there's a state of like undress or nudity or a revealing costume and like how to kind of navigate that conversation where as a costume designer, you having some of these intimacy and consent skills can kind of be a bridge, build a bridge between the director's vision and the actor's needs and safety. Mm. So I, I think we can take this in this, the, the juice <laughs> in the gems of this field and like pour it on into every like little specific role within the performing arts to to just be more excellent to each other uh, yes be more be excellent bill and ted are we are, are we sponsored yes. are we sponsored be excellent to each other that's that's exactly what we purport here at yes. icic um <laughs> yeah that's exactly right I, I i love the idea of abundance you know we talk about abundance a lot uh and how we can fractal out into the performing arts. You know, there was just a great article about choreography. Did you read that? I can't remember, but I, I know Sarah Lozoff was was um, featured in that. And Sasha Smith, I believe, was featured in that. Oh, I have that bookmarked, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah, yeah, I read it, and you know, they bring up some they bring up some really good points, and there's some choreographers there uh, in that article, and they bring up some really good points about you know, as as dancers, we have a whole different relationship to our bodies, you know, and how they mm. move through space and. You know, the mentality of the dancer is that they're there as an emotionless kind of form for the choreographer to do their work. And that's that's just how they're brought up. That's just how they're trained. And and now that intimacy is coming into the dance world, which is great and not a moment too soon. Uh, because certainly I have heard horror stories of what happens in rehearsal and what happens after. Now the dancers' bodies are being thought of with respect and their consent and boundaries are are starting to show uh, choreographers what they can and want to do. Um, it's kind of this no, yes and no but kind of idea as opposed to I am a robot and I have no emotions and yes you may pick me up you know kind right. of thing which is what dance dance used to be right right uh, and some some acting culture is this as well even yeah especially in the university level oh my gosh yeah it's it's fascinating so we went on a we went on a little tangent of course uh, but I, I, <laughs> tangents so um i wanted to i guess talk a little bit do we want to talk about gatekeeping do we want to yeah sure because that's a word that we've said 
<laughs> a lot this episode and I'm sure some other episodes. So just to, as we like to do, define it. I think I think defining words is important, as I said, so because so it can be like, okay, we're all on the same page. This is what we mean when we say this. So uh, gatekeeping is the activity of controlling and usually limiting general access to something. Mm. So I think it's interesting to look at how does gatekeeping fit in with certification in this field? Yeah. I mean, again, we talked about the price. We talked about financial prohibitives. Um, now that we're kind of in a Zoom a Zoom world and we're kind of spinning here in this digital space for a while, location, yeah. location and accessibility to classes uh, that are far away from us is kind of uh has kind of stopped so that that's that's a good thing yeah uh, that is, silver that linings is, yeah silver lining there's no longer that aspect of of gatekeeping i guess marketing can be a way of gatekeeping like before before these times like seven months ago it, <laughs> There was not this marketing drive or push to specifically include people of color in the classes or, you know, there wasn't this equal attention to marketing. Like, uh, you know, the article that I published uh, back in March questions, you know, why aren't HBCUs involved? Now I know TIE has been, well, TIE has been working very, very hard uh, to, to get information out to interested HBCUs and which is great, which it wasn't happening, uh, but now I, it is activated, which I applaud and, and appreciate. And ICOC, we have our branch ICOC EDU. We're doing, we're working on that as well. Um, so we are branching out to younger people of color who want, might want to turn this into a career. Uh, so that amount of gatekeeping with the marketing is is certainly something that can be tweaked and worked on and it, and is in development and growth, which is great. And so, you know, really to me, the the mind frame and the mindset of this is who we're going to market to and this is who we see in our classes and oh. they look just like us. So everybody cool. OK, we're cool. 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 So, I mean, now that that's changing, I'm happy about that. Interesting that it's shifting now. And I I think it's it's pretty good that ICOC exists. And I think that we were kind of this wave of, oh, shit, we need to pay attention to this. And that's good. If that's what my company does to, to this industry, great. I will take it 100%. You know, so that's that's kind of how what I think about the gatekeeping situation. Uh, you know, it's not great, and certainly finances are prohibitive in some ways. Um, some of the things are taken away from the issue simply because we are in the COVID times. But you know, anything can be improved, and I I can't wait for a day when there is no gatekeeping. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I. <laughs> I feel like sometimes I'm a person who has more questions and answers, but you know, that's kind of also how, (laughs) how, how life is. But this, this has me kind of thinking about these two dual questions. One is like, when is gatekeeping helpful in preventing harm? Mm. And is it ever? I don't know. Um, And when does gatekeeping cause harm by perpetuating injustice or preventing progress? 
and I don't I don't necessarily have those answers, but I just think that's it. Those are kind of two interesting questions to digest and like meditate on and stir around in your brain cauldron when we're thinking about gatekeeping in in this industry. And I'm generally very anti-gatekeeping, of course, because I I do think it does prevent progress and it does perpetuate toxic systems that are not inclusive. Right. Um, But I don't know. This is, I guess, just putting the question out here. Is there ever an instance when when gatekeeping is helpful to prevent harm? I, I guess maybe a little bit in what we briefly mentioned before about, you know, trying to make sure that not anyone can just be like, I'm an intimacy director now and then, you know, have a lot of power because intimacy professionals do have a lot of power with people in very vulnerable situations. Um, That's true. And, you know, when you're hiring an intimacy director for your production, there are certain things that that person should know and should know how to do. Um, I don't I I think we're going to talk about that on another episode. Like, how how do you know that you should be giving an intimacy director your money? Right. And like, okay, so if we're not looking in terms of do they have the certificate when you're looking to hire someone, kind of what is your qualification checklist? Right. Um, Which, again, that might I don't think there's just like one checklist because there's so many kinds and skills of of intimacy folks but it's kind of like what what questions would be helpful to ask an intimacy director or choreographer before you hire them to kind of assess if they're a good fit for your project and if they have the qualifications and the skills that you need them to have and want to trust them to have if you bring them in to do the work. That's an excellent point. You know, I'm doing a a workshop for a very large organization very soon. About, <laughs> it shall about, not be named at this point. It shall not be named. Uh, no, I can't. I really can't talk about who, where fine. it is or who it is, but I can say that um, that is exactly what I'm going to be talking about to the leadership and how to vet an intimacy director. Um, So I'm very, very excited about that. And I am going to be going on that whole uh, qualified train on that. Um, All the trains. Okay. We got to wrap this up. We have so much to talk about, but you know what? We promised ourselves that we were going to stay within like 45 minutes and we are pushing 45 right now. Yes, we are. This Um, is our goal. So the main thing that I wanted to communicate in this particular episode is that there are two schools of thought, qualification and certification. I'm not going to say versus because they're not against one another. The main thrust of the, of the industry is that we want people to have an education about intimacy work, what is appropriate, what is inappropriate, and then some choreography styles, some tips on masking, some, I mean, we we all want the same thing. I think what qualification does is it takes the patriarchy and the supremacy out of the quote, out of the, out of the equation. Yes. Wow. Beautifully, beautifully said. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that that qualification does exactly that and it and it solves some of those problematic things if we're really assessing individuals as individuals rather than making sure every person 
fits into the same limited box. Yes. Um, we, we in it, it really speaks to qualification speaks to kind of a different relationship between teacher and student or mentor mm. and mentee. That mm. is not about, as we talked about earning the, the gold star, but more of like this true apprenticeship and a real human learning relationship where uh, this is something you you and I have talked about before briefly, where good teachers want their students to succeed and even grow beyond them yes. rather than a teacher who wants a student to always kind of be at their feet. Right. And I think qualification is in line with with wanting to see people grow into their and bloom into their full potential of something that you can't control or predict. Amen. Amen, sister. I totally agree with that. And you said that so eloquently. You hit it spot on. Nailed it. Thanks. <laughs> do we do we want to briefly talk about the <gasps> naming, what we want to call calling ourselves and like language in this field? What are we calling ourselves? Are we intimacy specialists? Are we choreographers? Are we coordinators? Are we directors, activists? Are we advocates? What are we? I th I think there needs to be. <laughs> what are we? Ah, existential crisis. Sorry, um, that was kind no, of a Alice in no. Wonderland moment. Sorry, that was sorry. that was amazing. <laughs> I was like, I felt I fell down the rabbit hole. Um, no, well, I I think that names and what we call ourselves or ask others to call us are incredibly powerful. I think mm. to to quote one of my favorite playwrights who i believe is a true genius susan laurie parks she says words are spells in our mouths yeah. and i really believe that like what we in names in particular are incredibly powerful and uh i think that language is a helpful tool for understanding like you know how, that's why we share definitions but there's also something different about forcing people into our definitions or policing someone's language and saying, oh, well, if you do X, Y, and Z, you have to call yourself an intimacy choreographer or an intimacy coordinator or da 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 da, da rather than letting people who do the work say, this is how I identify and this is how I am naming myself and calling my work into being so I can communicate in that way that that is my title. That is my job. That's right. It's exactly right. You should be able to say, I feel comfortable with you calling me this. Now, one stickler for that is when you're dealing with signing contracts for regional theater or Broadway, the intimacy director title is, or intimacy choreographer, see, it's all fucked yeah, up and confusing. Yeah. Uh, intimacy choreography uh, is what you're called when you sign this, this contract. And that's simply because the SDC has these things about stage directors being called stage directors and choreographers being called choreographers. So that's a whole um, maelstrom in itself. Right. Hey, I think we're going to work this out. <laughs> I think we're going to eventually work out all the different ways that people can do intimacy work, all the ways we can show up in our own identi identities and intimacy, self-identified. And it's all so very exciting and so very encouraging 
to know that with you, when you have an abundance mind frame, which I happen to have been born with, I can see all different types of hyphens going on. I can mm. see this slash this. I'm a this slash this slash this. I can see that. It's coming right around the corner and we're headed toward it. So until then, I think, yes, it's going to be messy and it's going to be disorganized and it's going to be confusing. Hell, people don't even know what to call me now. Right. And, you know, people don't know what to call anybody now. It's like, are you a core, intimacy choreographer? That's part of being it's- a human and evolving in this this field is at such like an evolutionary stage. And, yes. and I believe it ha- will have a huge evolutionary impact on just the world of theater and film and all kinds of performing arts. And so like, I don't know, I really believe, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast before, but I believe in that we we learn as we go, as we do. Mm. Everything that I am passionate about and good at and have strengths in now, I started not knowing as much as I do now. But like part of how I got here was by trying it out and being, you know, accountable for mistakes and harm as they come up. But I really believe that we can't not learn by doing. That's just part of being human. Yeah. Yeah. And it purports <laughs> exploration. It encourages um, questioning and inquiry. This this field is not done yet. It, no, it, it's it, just we have not even poured the cement on this sucker. Like we're still designing it. And yeah. It's going to be a better design if more people are included in the planning. And like I said, it's going to get messy. And there sometimes there are going to be too many cooks in the kitchen. And we got to go, shoo, shoo, shoo. Go to design <laughs> the dining room or go, go. To, we're all, we're building the whole house. Everybody don't have right. to be in the damn kitchen right now, you right. know? So, you know, me, I'm happy to be in, you know, a great room, designing the great room by myself, you know, but I want to be connected to that house. And the way we do things in the great room are really going to be different than the way things happen in the kitchen. Would you make crepes in the great room? Great room? I don't think you would. So we all... (laughs) (laughs) Unless it's the crepe room. It could be the crepe room. I'm being silly. But, you know, we (laughs) we all have a piece in this, in the building of this house. And it could be a strong house. It could be a strong, with a strong foundation. But let's not start cutting off rooms before everybody's invited to suggest what room should be there. Right. And that's really an abundance mentality. And and I really believe that that scarcity mindset is a tool of patriarchy and is a tool of white supremacy and, and capitalism. And like the, part of our job in really building this house is to reject that so that we don't build this house on those foundations. Hell and yeah. And I think if you don't know what room you're in as we build this house or what room you're supposed <laughs> to be in yet, that's also okay to jump between a couple different rooms and be like, am I an intimacy choreographer? Am, do, do I want to be, am I an intimacy advocate? Am I a consultant? You know, like I think that we there's permission to try on different names and roles as we find out what is right for us. I think that, you know, if any of us look back in our, lives or careers like that I I so deeply identified as an actor for so much of my life and then I evolved into a director and a teacher and an intimacy director and I did not I couldn't see those things when I really identified as being an actor and now those are so what I am so I just think we need to have room for 
being in progress and giving yes. ourselves the grace to to be there because that's where we are. We, you can't be anywhere but that. That's here. Yes, exactly. I I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Let's just do it together. Yeah. As much as we can. Team intimacy. Woo-hoo! Unite. Unite. <laughs> Wonder Twin Powers. Activate. Oh, Carly, it's such a pleasure. Always, always a pleasure. And David and Hazel, we love you. Thank you, our amazing team. Thank you, team. We so appreciate you all listening uh, with us, friends. And uh, there's more in store. We got more of all of this. So much more. (laughs) If you... Yes, you listening right now have any questions about intimacy choreography, direction, consulting, or just the intimacy field in general, please send them to our email, which is the letters ICIC dot Anne and Carly at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at the letters ICIC underscore Anne and Carly where we will be posting info about upcoming episodes and other intimacy-related tidbits. And as usual, we'd also like to pop, pop, pop our sound designer, editor, and otherwise extraordinary person, David Gonzalez. And pop, pop, pop to our wonderful producer, Hazel Lozano. Music by David Gonzalez. The podcast logo is by Zach Brown. Pop, pop.